You're listening to The Souvenir Shop, a podcast about random objects from the past. Number 30. Stranded. Three Copeland jugs from the 1870s, identical in every way except for their size. They are decorated in the pale blue and white relief style of Wedgwood Jasperware, as copied by many other potteries, but never looking quite as refined as the original. They sit on a kitchen shelf above the spice jars, because we couldn't think where else to put them, and serve no other purpose than to occasionally remind us to dust. One of the joys of travelling is when you end up somewhere you never in your wildest dreams expected to visit. In early December 2012, we flew to Cuba, a country I always wanted to see for myself. Decades previously, I briefly experienced the Eastern Bloc before the Berlin Wall fell. And despite any misgivings about the regimes there, I'm glad I did. But any naive admiration I had for their politics expired in one night. It was at an open-air cinema in the Romanian port city of Constanza, showing a Hollywood film, The Dynamite Man from Glory Jail, starring an old James Stewart. Before the main feature, they ran their equivalent of Pathé News, which concentrated heavily on their leader's state visit to Israel. As soon as President Nikolai Ceausescu appeared, the entire audience applauded. Now, don't get me wrong, there are politicians I've admired in the past, some I've even quite liked, but not one statesman I can recall has ever driven me to spontaneous applause while watching the news. Something at work here wasn't pretty, and any lingering inclination towards Marxist-Leninism I had would dealt a knockout punch that night. But this didn't stop me from looking forward to Cuba. I was fascinated to know how the last bastion of Soviet communism was bearing up in the 21st century. Except we were staying at Varadero, a coastal town developed for the sole purpose of providing foreigners with luxury beach holidays and fleecing them of their hard-earned currency. Very pleasant, but in all honesty, we could have been at any other hotel resort in the world. By contrast, our last four days were spent in Havana, where we could drink in all the history, the politics, the culture, the rum, the music and the rum, or at least as much as having a three-year-old boy in tow would allow. Our flight back to the UK was booked for the evening of the 22nd of December, and we said goodbye to Cuba with one last cocktail and a wander around old Havana before collecting our luggage and hitting the airport. It was there, whilst browsing some or other tacky souvenir shop, that my wife had her bag stolen, containing her purse, her credit cards, and worst of all, both her and our son's passports. There was no time for tears or anxiety. We found a Cuban policeman, and he drove us to the nearest police station to report the theft. Despite their command of English not being great, and our Spanish even worse, the police couldn't have been more helpful or sympathetic. The duty cop patiently took our details, using the last manual typewriter I ever saw in active use, then gave us a lift to the British Embassy, so we could request emergency passports and hopefully take the next available flight. The British Embassy, in contrast to the police station, 
was an armed fortress where guards confiscated our mobile phones before allowing entry. During our interview, it transpired that while they could replace our son's passport that day, there were issues flagged with Anita's application. What issues? The woman behind the bulletproof glass wasn't at liberty to say. How long would these take to resolve? Again, she couldn't say. And would we be back in London in time to join our family for Christmas? Probably not. Why couldn't she tell us the reasons for the delay? This information, she said, could not be divulged. I'm trying to manage your expectations, she kept repeating. A sinister expression worthy of a Soviet bureaucrat. We spent Christmas Day on a beach near Havana, swimming and messing around with sandcastles. The only downside was our Christmas lunch, a disgusting microwaved pizza in a nearby bar. Any attempts to explain our plight to friends on social media were met with replies of, Poor you, having to spend Christmas on a tropical beach sipping cocktails. How awful! Which was fair enough. Making the best of things, our enforced stay in Havana gave us the opportunity to explore the city in more detail. There was a museum of archaeology in the restored old town, detailing all the priceless artefacts they had excavated in the past couple of decades whilst tarting the city up. A glass case caught my eye with its bilingual message, Fragment of Copeland's Jug, manufactured circa 1870, Stoke-on-Trent, England. There in the case was half a jug, identical to the largest one sitting above our spice jars, but exhibited as if it were the Rosetta Stone. I turned to Anita. We've got four of these in perfect nick, I said. Do you think they would make us an offer? The exhibit seemed inconsequential. It may have been valuable and exotic to the curators, but to us decadent Brits, it might as well have been a case marked Sony Trinitron Remote Control Unit with Teletext, circa 1983. No batteries. On the 28th of December, the British Embassy, still without giving a reason, managed our expectations further by informing us that Anita could whistle for a passport until at least the new year. By this time we'd had enough of Havana and our crappy hotel on the Malacan Coast Road, so we hopped on a southbound bus to Chienfuegos. We saw in the new year at Rancho Luna, a south coast resort complex with 500 guests and 200 sets of cutlery. I spent the hours approaching midnight in the bar, hearing the life story of a Canadian numismatist visiting Cuba to illegally buy collectible pre-Castro banknotes with smuggled gold bullion, while Anita and our son lay flaked out on a nearby sofa. At ten past midnight, I watched a lavish drag show mime to Carmen Miranda standards outside by the pool. A combination of location, cross-dressing, cigars and rum left me finally forgetting our travails. I was, if only for an hour or two, the embodiment of Ernest Hemingway sailing through life, aware of its slings and arrows, but too mellow to fight back unless challenged. We awoke the next day to discover the clothes drying on our line outside our chalet were gone. Somewhere in Cuba, 
lived the new owner of some quite snazzy John Lewis pyjamas. On January the 2nd, the emergency passports arrived. Despite a Freedom of Information request with the Home Office, we never discovered why it took a fortnight to deliver a travel document that should have taken a couple of hours. More specifically, we never discovered why, during a period when the Home Office were deporting innocent people of colour and pursuing a hostile environment towards immigrants and their families, it took a fortnight for our free and democratic government to allow a blameless British citizen of Indian origin to fly home. But we can hazard a guess. That was Stranded, written and read by Matthew Diamond. If you enjoyed this, then why not hit like and subscribe on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll see you next time. <laughs>